are, uh, we're continuing to think about our objectives this year as Timberline Church. We are, we are calling them 14ers that we want to climb. And this, this weekend we're thinking about the mountain of community, the mountain of community. So let's have a look at Matthew 17 and verse 1. It says this, Six days later, Jesus took Peter and, his two, and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Then his disciples asked him, Why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized. And they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. Then the disciples realized he was talking about John the Baptist. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. After they gathered in Galilee, Jesus told them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. And the disciples were filled with grief. How many of us, let me just ask you this, how many of us can ever remember a specific time when we opened our mouths without engaging our brains And it got us into real trouble. Raise your hand if that has ever happened. A few of us confess to that. How many of us never raise our hand, whatever the question is, from the preacher? (laughs) It's happened to me too many times to count, where I just I just spoke up without thinking and it it got me into trouble. Like like when I asked that lady when her baby was due. And the baby had been born two weeks earlier, and she was pushing a stroller with it in it, which was a clue. (laughs) Or like that beautiful moment when I met two ladies and assumed that one of them was the other one's mother. 
and said so. And it turned out they were sisters, but one of them hadn't worn quite so well. <laughs> she said, I'm not her mother, I'm her sister, and I will hate you for the rest of my life. <laughs> oh, that fantastic moment when I, the great real estate expert, not. I was out walking the neighborhood with a friend. And we came up to a house, it said for sale, and they got the little plastic box with the details inside. You know the little plastic box with the details inside? And you open the box to look at it. You don't want to buy the house, but you're just nosy, right? And I open the box and I look at the details and I turn to my friend with great authority. I said, this house will never sell. Believe me. He nodded. Just at that moment, exact moment, a car pulled up with a real estate sticker on the side of the car. A realtor got out, walked across to where we were standing. Good morning, she said. Removed the for sale sign and put sold. <laughs> Once again, my mouth had got me into trouble. In this extraordinary episode, which is included in Matthew, Mark and Luke, Peter famously blurts out his stuff and then lives to regret it. But it's, it's more than a story of Peter's ineptitude. It's a story of glory. It's a story of glory as in a way that we can't fully understand. Jesus is transfigured before them. Fear is replaced by faith. But, but it's also a story of a little mountaintop community. You see, Jesus had this inner circle. Unapologetically, he had an inner circle of Peter, James, and John. They exclusively had front row tickets to some of the greatest episodes in Jesus' ministry. And now he takes them to this mountain and they become a community together. It's interesting the placing of this story. Because in Matthew 16, we hear about church. In Matthew 18, we hear about church. And then sandwiched between the two, we have this episode where community is really being lived out in the life of Jesus and his friends. Now, now, where did it happen? Well, it probably happened here. This is Mount Hermon. It probably happened uh, there. It's not a 14er. It's only 9,200 feet. And if you go to Israel, they'll probably tell you that it happened on Mount Tabor, which is easier for taxis to access, which has somewhat shaped the archaeological discoveries, if you get my drift. But it probably happened here. It doesn't really matter where it, it happened. And what's going on here is that the disciples are getting a glimpse of Jesus' glory. Matthew describes this transformation, this supernatural event. He he shares two things. He says that Jesus' face began to shine like the sun and his clothes became a brilliant white. And then Moses and Elijah show up. Can you imagine how freaked out the disciples were? It's Moses and Elijah. I don't know how they knew that it was Moses and Elijah. Stick-on badges had not been invented, so I don't think it was, hi, Moses, the likelihood is that Jesus explained the identity of these two, but there they are, right there. What are they talking about? Matthew doesn't tell us, Luke does. Luke says that they are talking about Jesus' departure. They are discussing the cross. What happens here, ladies and gentlemen, is glorious, 
But I think it also helps give us insight as we think about continuing to deepen community here at Timberline Church, to grow and deepen. Did anyone see the Oscar-winning movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? It didn't win any Oscars, did it? And the movie was all about the miniaturization of some people. I would suggest to us, honey, we shrunk the church. We have ended up with a miniaturized, truncated vision of the church where if we're not careful, we just think the church is about, well, it's where I go and I hear some preaching and sing some songs, it's a social club. Yeah, it's where, it's where nice people go to meet nice people. And when we have an abbreviated vision of the church, that will affect our understanding of its importance as a community. So, so let's dive in here. If you're following in the bulletin, follow with me. First of all, let's see this. We are a community built around the glorious Christ and the big story of God. We're built around the glorious Christ and the big story of God. The glorious Jesus is right there as the centerpiece of this community. Ladies and gentlemen, the church is not just a bunch of people who believe stuff. Yeah, we got this alternative morality program that we, we want to pass around, a different way to live. The church exists around the risen, glorious Lord Jesus. How many of you believe together with me that he is here right now in the midst of us? Jesus is alive. And we are a community that gathers around that resurrection truth. But then why did Moses and Elijah appear? I suggest that there is a continuity of story taking place here. You see, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And now as they stand shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, suddenly we begin to see that everything in God's big story is being fulfilled. This crucifixion, this resurrection is not some random thing. It's totally connected to the big story of God. And we're not just a community. We're a community of that story, a community of that purpose. Sociologists tell us that we're now living in postmodernism. What's postmodernism? It means there's no core story as a narrative for our lives. And when that happens, meaningless prevails. It just everything becomes meaningless. Uh, people go to work to get the money to buy the food to give them the strength to go to work to get the money to buy the food to give them the strength to go to work to get the money to buy the food to give them the strength to go to work to get the money to buy the food to give them the strength to. Some of you are going. Some of you are like, uh, we get it, Pastor Jeff. Thank you. You don't. You don't have to do that thing anymore. I only did it for nine seconds, and you got bored. Imagine living your whole life by that narrative. Uh, there's a Greek mythological figure called Sisyphus who incurred the wrath of the gods. His punishment was to roll a stone, a heavy stone, to the top of the hill and watch it roll down. Go down the hill and roll the stone back up again forever and ever and ever. But ladies and gentlemen, we're not just a community. We're a community of the glorified Christ and we are a community of God's big story. And so we begin, our story begins in Genesis. In the beginning, God created. It was good. 
Genesis chapter 3, the fall of the first couple. Genesis 4, the first murder. Things go downhill until Genesis chapter 11. The building, the construction of a community that banished God, the Tower of Babel or Babel. Let us make a name for ourselves. God scatters that community. There's a confusion of languages. And right there, Genesis chapter 12, God's big community begins with the calling of Abraham. And as Abraham goes on his journey, the story unfolds through Isaac and Jacob and the formation of the 12 tribes, the harsh persecution of Egypt, the epic exodus, the gathering together around Mount Sinai. And Israel becomes the community of God, a people of purpose on the earth. And they become legalistic and they become exclusivist and they become religious. And God sends the prophets to give them a kick and they don't respond. And the prophets look forward to one who is going to come. And John the Baptist stands up and says, one is coming. And Jesus is born, the star of Bethlehem. And he grows up and he ministers and he teaches the principles of the kingdom and then he goes to the cross to deal with everything that separates us from God and on the third day he is raised again from the dead and he spends six weeks teaching his disciples the principles of the new kingdom community and on the day of Pentecost on Acts chapter 2 there is a sound of mighty rushing wind and suddenly people start speaking in languages they've never learned and everybody understands the gospel message in their own language the curse of Genesis is chapter 11 where there was a confusion of languages is unraveled and overturned and suddenly everybody understands the message ladies and gentlemen this is what we're part of this is what we're part of this is our story whatever your story might be your real story is not one about your parents your real story is about Genesis and Abraham at six o'clock this morning, I was working out. You don't get a chiseled physique like this by accident. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at the wrong time. And I've been watching while working out, because I need distraction, because I hate it with a passion. I've been watching the history of the Second World War. Why have I been doing that? Because I want to understand my dad more. He died many years ago, prisoner of war for four years before he escaped. And I've wept as I've understood more of my family history and I value my family history. But we have a communal family history which transcends blood or nationality. It's kingdom. Graham Tomlin said, if you're a Christian, the story that tells you who you are is not the story of your parents, ancestors, ethnic group or social class. It is instead the story of the Bible, the promise to Abraham, deliverance from slavery to Egypt and sin, the gift of land to landless Israelites and life to dead sinners. The story of promise, deliverance and gift is your family history. The story that defines you. Have you connected with that story yet? God wants us to. Do you know that Jesus yet? That can begin this day. We are a, a community built around the glorious Christ and the big story. Secondly, we're a community willing to take steps of faith and navigate change together. We're a community willing to take steps of faith and navigate change together. I, I, I love Peter. I mean, I identify with him so much because he's so well-intentioned, but he does stupid stuff. And here he is, and uh, there's Moses, and there's Elijah, and there's Jesus. And Peter's like, this is awesome 
doesn't say that in the Greek, but that's the modern translation. And he, he says, uh, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let, let, let me build booths for you. Let's just stay here. He wants to make a memorial out of a revelation. I think that that can happen. That can happen to us. We get set in our ways, personally and corporately. We don't like change. This week I decided as a good husband, I wanted to take my wife out to dinner. So I took her out to a familiar place. I love it because you can, there's lots of different uh, items on the menu that you can sample. And so I said, honey, come on, let's go to Costco. I'm taking you. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> so we go to Costco. And I said, I'm gonna, we're going to fill up with gas uh, before we go in. And so we go to the Costco gas station. And I, 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 my heart is thrilled. I, I'm sad about oil prices right now, but I'm happy when I fill my tank. Because in England, we're still on 10 bucks a gallon. Yeah. God bless America. <laughs> oh, yeah. So anyway, I pull up to the gas pump, and there's an attendant guy there. You know, he's helping people. He's about nine years old, and... And uh, I get out of my car, I start to fill my tank and said, hey, how you doing? He said, I'm good. And then this guy, another customer pulled in and pulled around the pumps and is pointing, pointing this way. And the pre-adolescent guy, he said, uh, he said, oh, no. I said, what? What's wrong? He said, well, this is a one-way gas station. He said, I have to go now and tell him that he's facing the wrong way and he's got to come back around again. I said, I said, that won't be an issue, will it, dude? I said, dude, because it made me feel young. <laughs> Sounded slightly silly. He said, you wouldn't believe it. So he said, people get mad. I'm asking them to turn their car. Don't you tell me! Don't you tell me how I can point my car! This is America! And we do that, with, we can do that with church. You know, how, how come they took the offering at a different place? Or we, we, we turned and greeted each other and we did some different. How come I can't sit in the chair that Jesus gave me when I came to Timberline? How come? What's that about? I don't know that I can cope. And I want to be part of a community. I'm glad we are. Where we can navigate change, but not only change together. Maybe this year we're going we're gonna to navigate some changes. We'll do things differently, not for the sake of it, but to fulfill our mission. But what about personally? You see, did you know that transfiguration in the Bible is not restricted to Jesus? It includes you and me. The word transfiguration occurs in two other occasions. And it's about us. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, talks about us being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Same word. And then, 2 Corinthians, listen to this. It's, it's transfiguration language talking about us. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God's in the transformation business. We've, we talked about this before. Does anyone, anyone remember Popeye the Sailor Man? Anyone remember Popeye? I never got Popeye, bless his heart. Because he was really attracted to that olive oil. 
I mean, I know it's kind of weird to be thinking about being attracted to a cartoon character. There's something a bit odd about that. I never thought she was cute. I used to think, Popeye, what are you thinking? But Popeye used to have this song. He would say, I am what I am. And that's all I am. I'm Popeye, the sailor man. Have you, have you said this week, sorry honey, this is the way I am. Just got to accept the way things are. Nothing's going to change now. Have we surrendered to sameness? It might be that we've surrendered to sameness in a very serious area of addiction. It might be something far more subtle. But if we run up the white flag of surrender to sameness, not realizing that God is in the business of building a community of transfiguration. If God said to you right now, what would you like me to change about you? Not around you, in you. Might it be that this weekend we might say afresh, not I'm going to change me, but rather God, I want to cooperate with you as you change me. Thirdly, we're a community centered around the love of God. We're a community centered around the love of God. This is my dearly loved son, says the father, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. I notice two things from this. First of all, if you want to sum up everything there is to know about God in one word, the New Testament chooses the word love as that one word. First John chapter 4, God is love. But the second thing I notice is that before going into the epic battle that was the cross, Jesus went there not only with the comforting encouragement of Moses and Elijah who show up, but rather with the words of the Father like sunshine on his back. This is my son. I'm pleased with him. I love him. Do you know today that God loves you? Do you live in that love? Do we live in that love? Do we live our lives in order to earn that love, which is impossible? Or do we live our lives in response to that love? Maybe you're not a Christian today. You're not sure how God feels about you. Here's the news. News flash. He loves you. No matter where, you, where you've been, no matter what you've done, we're a community centered around that love. Number four, we're a community that supports each other in suffering. We're a community that supports each other in suffering. I was a bit concerned about this weekend, and I'll tell you why. Uh, two days ago, I went in to have a procedure to have a wisdom tooth removed. It's a lot of fun. And it was going pretty good, um, uh, until the doctor, he was having a bit of trouble getting it out, so he had like both feet up on my chest, and I'm like, this is kind of extreme, and I said, Doc, this is not going well, and he said, yeah, it's kind of tough, and he said, what we're going to do is we're going to attach a piece of fishing line uh, to the tooth, and we're going to run the fishing line through the window of the clinic, and we're going to attach it to my truck, and then my receptionist is going to drive off, and that should take care of it. I said, awesome. How many know that nothing like that happened? My doctor, who is a timberliner, and he's a genius. I show up there. I go into the clinic, and the lovely lady 
behind the counter is a timberliner. I mean, it's kind of awkward because I, I just want to cry like a baby, but she's from Timberline, so I can't. And she says nice stuff like, you know, you're allergic to anything. And I'm thinking, yeah, pain. And she's so kind. And then I go in and, and the doc is, he's just so calming and professional and he explains exactly what's going to happen. And then he hooks me up to some stuff and he says, he says, 15 seconds from now, you're going to get happy. And I'm like, awesome. This is legal. And I, I get happy. Please, God, I hope I didn't say anything really stupid. And then I I went out, and five seconds later, I woke up, probably about an hour, actually. And because of the stunning skill, and I'm not overstating it, I I was expecting big pain and stuff. I've had about five minutes pain in the last 48 hours because of the genius of of that doctor and his colleagues. I want life to be like that. I just want it to be painless. Suffering is coming. Okay, hit me, baby. But here we see that life is not like that. C.S. Lewis says, Christianity has been mostly practiced prior to the invention of chloroform. Think about that. You see, we cannot escape all pain, but our potential for pain is much reduced more than any other generation. But glory and suffering go together. Tom Wright has said, if you're going to look at the mountain of transfiguration, you've got to look also at the mountain called Calvary. On this mountain, transfiguration, Jesus is revealed in glory. On the mount called Calvary, he's revealed in shame. Peter, James and John go to the mount of transfiguration. Before the crucifixion, they go to the mount of olives to Gethsemane. Here, his clothes are shining bright. There his clothes are stripped off of him and soldiers gamble for them. Here he is flanked by Moses and Elijah, the great heroes of the nation. There he is flanked by two criminals. Here a bright cloud overshadows the scene. There darkness covers the land. Here Peter blurts out how wonderful this is. There Peter is denying that he even knows Jesus. Here a voice from God says, this is my wonderful son. There A pagan soldier declares with surprise, this really was God's son. What have you got? You've got glory. And you've got suffering commingled. Let's not be surprised when we suffer. Now I look around this room right now, and I can see people, I will not embarrass you, but I can see people who know what suffering is about. And you've held on to your faith. Did I ever tell you you're my hero? Because that ability to embrace not only glory. Oh, we all want the glory moments. But also the pain. That's what real faith is about. Well, lastly, with this I'll conclude. Number five, we are a community unsurprised by failure. We're a community who are unsurprised by failure. It's really interesting because if you look at the other accounts, uh, Moses and Elijah are glowing too. (laughs) They're shining as well. That's interesting. 
there's something in there about the glory of humanity which, when it's surrendered to God. So you've got a lot of glory around, but you've also got idiotic behavior. Because Peter's like, can we stay here? Can I make some tents? And the other, translate, the other versions in the other Gospels, they say, he did not know what he was saying. I love that. What you've got is a mingling of glory and well-intentioned ineptitude. And I love it because God has to speak from a cloud to help Peter to be quiet. Some angel in heaven said, Look, Lord, the only way for him to keep stum is if you talk and say, Look, this is my son. I'm pleased with him. Would you listen to him? I love that because it's a beautiful portrait of the fragility of the community. Hey, we're going to disappoint each other. We will. We're humans. I mean, look around. Look who they allow to come to church these days. And as I, as I travel, and not only am I stunned by my own gift of ineptitude, but I, you know, sometimes Christians, we say such silly things without thinking. Like, I, I go to preach at a place and not many people show up. And the pastor says, don't worry. He said, those that the Lord want to be here, they'll be here. I'm like, that's a ridiculous idea. Have you thought that one through? That was true. We'd never advertise anything. We wouldn't even mention Summit because those that the Lord want to be there, they'll be there. It's silly. Another one is hugging. Hugging Christians. I wish we, we had a policy about whether we were a handshaking church, a hugging church. Because like in England it gets confusing because there we handshake, we hug and we also kiss on the cheek. As well, it's a British thing. I know you've thought that that's surprising. You thought we British were all kind of hyper-reserved. No, we kiss on the cheek. Then I come back here and I forget that I'm not in England. And I kiss on the cheek and people are thinking, what's with the pervert? <laughs> now, in Sicily, I went to preach in Sicily. And they kiss like nine times. It takes you three weeks to get out of church. You're like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honey, I came out of church with razor burn. I mean, what is that about? And then I've been to some churches, you know, they forget, hug to the left. If you're going to hug, hug to the left. Because you know what happens? You go in, they go in the same side, headbutt. It's like elk in the Rocky Mountain National Park. I went to one church and this lady came in for the kiss and I went in for the hug. So I go in for the hug, she comes in with a kiss, I get a kiss on the neck. I came out of there with so many hickeys, I looked like Dracula's concubine. I can't believe I said that. For those of you listening to this recording... I, Pastor Darry Northrup, <laughs> apologize for that unfortunate comment. Pastor Jeff will be back next week to restore order. What am I saying? I'm saying, we're not always that bright. Timberline's broken. 
Every church, every marriage, every person, every organization, it's all busted. One day it won't be, but in the meantime, it's fragile. So let's not get devastated or disappointed, surprised by failure. Let's dig in. Let's get involved in small groups. Let's volunteer. Let's come to Summit. Let's give. What's that welcome center back there? To the right of guest services. What are we doing? We're wanting to connect with people who come to Timberline for the first time. Three different, three or four folks last night in that service last night. Walked into Timberline for the first time ever. Great opportunity for connection and deepening. If you're a first timer in Timberline, uh, come back there. I'm going to be back there straight after the service together with other pastors and staff members. If you're a first timer, you get a free cup of coffee. Honesty is required. <laughs> if you've been around for a few weeks and you want to get connected, come back and, and say hi. Well, let me, let me quit with this. What, what, why are we doing all this? It's because, it's because the story is true. You see, years later, Peter would write about this experience. Did you know that? He wrote about this mountaintop experience in 2 Peter chapter 1. And verse 16. Listen to what he says. He says, For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter's saying, hey, it's true. And so he was able to go to a martyr's death faithfully. James, one of the earliest martyrs of the church under Herod. Why did he die? He knew it was true. John, Peter, James, and John, exiled to Patmos. They tried to boil him alive. He survived. Why did he endure? Because he knew it was true. They saw it on the mountain. Let's continue to build Let's pray together. Lord, as we bow our heads, we thank you for the privilege of being part of the family of God that is expressed today around the world in different denominations and settings. Small clusters of believers meeting today under threat of persecution, large gatherings and everything in between thank you for the privilege that is ours. We ask you to strengthen those whose belief in the community of God and the message of the kingdom of God has potential to cost them everything. We thank you for the freedom that we enjoy. Help us to express that freedom in our commitment to each other in a growing way. Change us. Change us as a community. 
change the scenery, take us through a journey that might be unfamiliar. Take us where you want us to go, Lord. But we also want to pray that you will bring transfiguration to our own personal lives. I want us just to keep our heads bowed for a moment. Maybe when I was talking about, well, this is the way that I am, nothing's going to change, surrendering to sameness. Maybe you realize that's you, and you're very conscious right now of something in you that you would really love God to change. And maybe you've kind of given up hope that it could change. God is able with your cooperation. He's in the redeeming business and he's in the transforming business. As our heads are bowed, if that's where you're at, you know that you need God's transformation in a particular area. Can I ask you just to slip up your hand and hold it there for a few seconds? Would you do it right now? It's an offering of you cooperatively with God. You can put your hands down. Before I pray one further prayer, if you're not a Christian today, you can begin that journey. It starts with a decision. Right where you're seated, you can pray a prayer that simply says, Jesus, save me. You're not just asking God to bless you. You're asking him to take charge. You're asking him to forgive you your sins, which he can do. Christ has died on the cross. And you're asking him to transform you from death into life. Life that will go on forever. It's a decision. So in your own words, right where you're seated, you can make that decision. Jesus, save me. I turn my life over to you now. Change me. Align me with your kingdom purposes. And at the end of our service, our prayer team members will be here at the front. They have resources they would like to give you to help you as you have begun this brand new journey. Holy Spirit, I believe that as we have opened the book, that you have been at work. Bring forth much fruit, both in our lives as followers of you, And in the lives of those who today are deciding to follow you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the truth of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.